I remember when I was uh, 11 years old, we used to go to um, a sport called Speedway. Does anybody remember Speedway? Four motorcycles racing around a ridiculously small track <laughs> on shale. Yeah. A crazy sport. And uh, my favourite Speedway rider was John Lewis. He was been the world champion and he's a great Speedway rider. And I remember suddenly at 11 thinking, I'm never ever going to be able to participate in this. I'm never going to have a Speedway bike. I'm never going to have the... The, the resources or the finance to be a speedway rider. I don't want to go anymore. <laughs> I don't want to be just in the crowd cheering on John Louis for the rest of my life. I want to participate. I want to get involved. And I thought, ah, football. You only need a football and you only need two jumpers. <laughs> I can participate. I can go and watch Ipswich and I can pretend to be my favourite players on the pitch. Or I can join a football team and uh, I can play regularly on a Saturday. I can get involved. You don't need a lot to get involved. See, we were born into a kingdom where God says everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to participate. Everybody gets to be involved. That's the kingdom of God. That when you're born again into a kingdom, you get born into the opportunity to be a world changer, to to be one who brings hope, joy and peace, to release what you carry, to see hopeless situations turn to hope, to ignite joy wherever you go, to have the joy of leading people to Christ, to have the joy of prophesying life over people, to have the joy of bringing transformation. Every believer is called to be a participant because God has prepared something in advance for everyone to do. And that's what we're looking at this morning, is how do we um, increasingly connect to that sense of, I've got a contribution to make, that um, I've got something to bring. How do we connect to that? What are some of the things that stop us connecting to that? And how can we overcome them? See, how we, how we see the church, how you see what went on this morning, how you view the church will completely shape how you interact and engage with it. So what you see going on this morning, what your expectations are, what you would define what's been going on, what you would define this group of people as, will very much define how you interact and engage with the church. That if we don't define it properly, we'll engage with it in a way that's not right, will engage with it wrong. That the church, I think we'd all agree with this, is a family. Mm. The church is a family. The church is not an organisation and the church is not a business. And we all pretty much say, yeah, I agree with that. So how we engage with it very much depends on how we view it. If we view the church as an organisation, as a business, as something supplying a service, we'll engage with it in a very different way than if we understand that it's a family, that I'm part of a family, and that I'm a participant, and I get to play too. So the Bible is clear that the father always wanted a family. That family is what he wanted. That God's goal was not to have a bunch of employees. But his goal was to have sons and daughters. Sons and daughters who get loved by him. Sons and daughters who see what their father is like. Sons and daughters who then represent the father wherever they go. 
So, we see Father and we say, wow, Father, you're loving, I want to be loving. Father, you forgive, I want to forgive. Father, you're so compassionate and kind, I want to be compassionate and kind. Father, you're full of wisdom and solutions and breakthroughs, I want to be like you wherever I go. To read you this, family is at the heart of the kingdom. Heaven's government is built on Jesus the Son. That's Isaiah 9.6. Jesus was all about relational glory with his Father in heaven. Inviting us to be in a relationship with him and the Father too. You hear that in John's, John 17 in the prayer of Jesus. We will be going to a wedding mm. as Christ <coughs> will marry his bride, the church. Many passage, passage, passages in the Bible also speak about building from generation to generation. Malachi 4, 5 to 6. CZK, this church is a family. We're, we're called to be a family. Fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, not an organisation. In Ephesians, it talks about the grace and peace from God our Father. That Christ Jesus created us to do good works. We've talked about it already. We're members of his household. That we have one God and Father of all. That it talks about peace to the brothers and sisters. Paul talks about Timothy as being like a son who worked with his father. So it's clear that God is building a family. The church that is calling people out to belong to a family. To connect to a family. And I think, I, I think if we talk to every person here this morning... We would all say, yeah, I love the idea of family. I, I, I want a place where I connect. I want a place where I truly belong. I want a place where I can be known. I want a place where I can give and serve. We all would say that. And I think the offering is wonderful testimony and a wonderful fruit of the fact you're an amazing bunch of people and that we're in, we're in this Together, It's an amazing uh, testimony of your heart, your, your sacrifice, your generosity, and the fact that you're saying, we're in this. We're in this to bless this community. And so, we, we want family, and we want to connect, and we want to belong. And, and, uh, but sometimes we don't realise, to backtrack, what I, what I want to say to, is this this morning. There's some of you who are already serving amazingly. And you're doing loads. And there's some of you who don't realise you're invited to. There's some of you who didn't realise maybe that God has a huge call upon your life. And that he's prepared works in advance for you to do. So we've got loads of amazing people doing amazing things. But we've also always a growing community with new people. And sometimes new people don't realise, wow, that includes me. Mm. I get to play too. Mm. Yeah, I get to play too. That I'm not just going to be in the, the stand at a speedway match watching a few riders going around a shale track. <laughs> and the best I'm ever going to be is someone who cheers on John Louis. <laughs> but you're included too. 
So, so we all want family, but what sometimes we don't realise is, is that family requires something of us. And sometimes, like I'm going to go on later on, sometimes that can be, I never, that people would say, I never realised that I could be involved. I thought it was only the priests who could involve, or the anointed person, or the man or woman of power for the hour. I thought they were the only ones who got to play. I didn't realise I was included. But sometimes we can say, I want family, but then, without even realising it sometimes, treat the church like a restaurant or a hotel. So family requires something really different from us than going to a restaurant, would you agree? Mm. When you go to a restaurant, you do not go in and say, is there anything I can do? (laughs) Has has anybody gone into a restaurant and said, is there anything I can do? (coughs) Are you okay in the kitchen? (laughs) Do you need any washing up doing? Have you got anybody you need serving? No, we go to a restaurant and we, we have an expectation that We're going to be sat down, that the waiter or waitress is going to come, and they're going to take our food order, and they're going to cook it, and then if we're really kind, we might stack the plates to make it a little easier for them to collect. But we never turn around and say, is there anything you need me to help you with? Because we're paying for a service. We're paying for something to be done. We don't go into a restaurant and say, I'm going to lay my life down for the other diners. (laughs) We, we don't look around for opportunities necessary to get stuck into the restaurant business. Don't worry about collecting my plates. I'll bring it and I'll wash them up as well. We don't do that. And when we go to a hotel, we, we don't say, don't worry about the sheets. I'll wash them and I'll make the beds, not just for my room, but for that room as well. And, you know, actually, I think we're, we're kind. We don't just dump, it feels a bit wrong just to dump your towel in the middle of the room. But you, you do your best to leave it like you would your own home. But there's no expectation that you're going to do anything in a hotel, that you're going you're gonna to clean up or you're going to, you know, you, you know sometimes you, you see programs, don't you? And there's the towel there and the curtains are drawn and the, there's clothes everywhere. Now, if we treated our home like we did a hotel or a restaurant, I think we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? You know? <laughs> if we just came home and whoever's cooking dinner, we sat down and got the menu and said, uh, I'll have a carafe of water, please, and I'll have some wine. And I hope no one's nudging somebody. <laughs> no, we, 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 we want to get stuck in at home and we're, we're there and we want to be involved in clearing away, setting the table, even if it's not our area necessary to cook, which I'm, I don't cook because I, I burn things. You're not allowed. <laughs> I, um, I, I once was given very clear instructions, really helpful instructions, how to cook a pizza. And uh, I, I managed, I, I did everything, but I managed to burn the, the outer crust. So, because the girls give me such a hard time because of my cooking, I thought I'd get a little spatula and I'd cut around the edge so the burnt was gone, but that meant the pizza was smaller than it should be. And Fleur noticed. Why is the pizza smaller? So I showed him in the bin this ring. I just, I just wanted to... I wanted to do well. I wanted to do well. And I know I... 
There was a time I burnt the beans, and I did. I actually, I, 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 I blamed that one honestly on Jesus. He distracted me. He was really, he was so chatty, and I, I just forgot I was making a pie and beans. That was a disaster. And and these chicken nuggets that the girls tapped on the table that were like rock. And uh, so I'm not invited into that 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 place of of being, though. You know, yeah. But we, we, we want to get we want to contribute. We wouldn't treat our family home as like a hotel. We just you know you know leaving everything everywhere and the towel everywhere and a note saying yeah we'll recycle the towel. We don't treat it like that. But in fa- in family we we're involved. We're stuck in and we contribute. Now Ephesians four eleven says something amazing and it says it says Christ Himself. Gave. So he's gave who? Apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? Why, Jesus, did you give them? Did you give them so that they could put on a really, really good show? Did you give them so that churches could be so attractive because they've got these amazing, spectacular gifts? Did you give them, Jesus, so that we, the body, wouldn't have to do anything but the gifts could do it all for us and that we could pay for a service. And it says, no, he gave them to equip his people for works of service. Wow, we're all included as something to do so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, this is the body speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become, in every respect, mature. The mature body of him who is the head and is Christ. From the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so Jesus has given these amazing gifts so that the body is built up. And Ephesians 4.11 is really saying that the goal of gifts, the goal of um, these anointings, the goal of, of, of leadership is that everybody gets to be really, really big. And that's the goal. That's the goal. We can say that the Bible clearly says numerical growth amongst churches and how many people were being saved and added. But the church was mostly commissioned, not about building numerically large churches, although that's nothing wrong with that. But there's clarity that um, leaders were called to build big men and women, Mm. grown-up men and women, mature men and women who know who they are in Christ, who go on, on adventures. So the apostolic ministry then in a church could be said to be this. It's influencing and changing the world um, your church is in, locally, regionally and globally with the values of heaven. So big people know the values of heaven and know who they are and know who Christ is in them and knows, know what they carry so that they're equipped and built up and strengthened and edified and supplied with everything needed to influence and transform the, transform the world the church is in. That we're called to transform locally, regionally or globally with the values of heaven. There's a goal here that everyone would know. I, I carry the values of heaven. I'm a world changer. I'm a, tr- I'm a transformer. 
Um, I'm someone who's going to bring the kingdom of God. The prophetic, the prophet then, is a ministry to connect people to the presence of God so that everyone can see, hear and feel God for themselves. That's, that's the goal of the prophetic ministry, the prophetic culture in a church is so that you know how to hear his voice, so that you know how to hear him, so that you know how to see him, so that you know how to feel him for yourself. And we love the gift of the, the, the prophet who comes to the local church and, and brings edification and exhortation and encouragement. We love to hear someone do that. But do you know that you can be a person who hears his voice multiple times every single day of the week? That you don't have to wait for a special person to come. Yes. You don't have to wait for a special ministry who may pick out the one in the blue shirt. You, you don't have to wait for that. Holy Spirit will pick you out every morning, afternoon and evening. And that's part of what it means to be a big person. That you know who you are, you know who Father is. And you know that you're one of his sheep and his sheep hear his voice. And that's for you. And that's part of what the ministries of Ephesians 4.11 are there to establish. We, we, we can define evangelistic ministry as revealing the King, Jesus, to those who don't know him through words, works and wonders. Everyone is called to be equipped to be an evangelistic person. There might be an evangelist, the gift of the Spirit, the gift of, 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 of a person who is an evangelist, but they're there to equip the body to do the stuff. Yeah. We can define the pastoral ministry as cultivating kingdom character and community through coaching, counselling and care. We can define the teaching ministry as communicating biblical truth through teaching and training to see transformation so that each person is transformed by the teaching gift but is also able to read the Bible for themselves to encounter him and encounter truth and be transformed daily because they know how to handle the word of God correctly. That is what Jesus has given the gifts for. And so sometimes we can fall into the idea that the gifts are producing a service for us to do the things that Jesus has asked us to do. That the prophet will do the prophetic stuff. That the apostle will change the world and bring the values of heaven down. That the evangelist will share the gospel for me. That the teacher will teach me. And that the pastor will do all the pastoring. But these ver- verses say that grace, divine empowerment has come from the gifts to equip his people for works of service. To equip his people for works of service. So the family, that you are equipped to heal the sick. You're equipped to heal the sick. That if your neighbour or your friend or your colleague or your family member says, I'm sick, you don't have to bring them to a special person in a special place. You, in that moment, can release heaven to them and say, I have a solution. I know Jesus. He heals the sick. I'm going to tell you a testimony about this back. I'm going to tell you about a cancer that got healed. I'm going to tell you something, and now I'm going to pray for you, and something's going to happen. That's what it means to be grown up and mature. So if you lead someone to Christ, and you will lead someone to Christ, you, you don't have to go and say, who's going to do the discipling of them for me? That you can be the person who's qualified and equipped and supplied and edified and built up to disciple them in all the truths of what Jesus has done, to teach them. That you can lead people to Christ and you can disciple them. You you don't need to think, oh, what's the church doing to love the poor? Maturity is, what am I doing to love the poor? Mm. What has he placed in my hands to love the poor? What does it look like right now for me to love the poor? You don't have to wait for the special ministry who sets the captives free and releases prisoners. You don't. You do it. You do it. 
You do it. Because the gifts are there to not produce a service of these things for us, but to provoke us into maturity where we do it. Where we begin to... And there will be some of those things we lean to more than others. Some of us will lean more to pastoral. Some of us will lean more to evangelistic. But we are to be built up. Maturity looks like I'm internally motivated. I've got self-control. Maturity means I can tell myself what to do when I do it. That's what maturity looks like. Sometimes we're looking, sometimes for leadership to tell us what to do. Can I watch this? Can't I watch this? Can I read this? Can't I read this? Find out what pleases the Lord. That's what part of being a people who hear his voice, who know his voice. Find out what pleases the Lord. There aren't rules about this book, that book, this film, that place. There's just different relationships that, that he has that you need to come to him and know for yourself. It's knowing each person how to make godly decisions. It's discovering the grace you carry. What do you carry? The grace flows from ministry so you discover who you are. So you discover who you are. The race that you've been called to run. The works that he's has for you that he's prepared in advance for you to do. We're to provoke and stir and say, God has such a high opinion of you. What are you called to do? What do you want to do through me, Father? What are you doing in me right now? What do you want to do through us right now? If you notice, that's part of why our vision days are always about intimacy, connection, beliefs, hope, joy, rather than telling you what we're going to do. We don't have to say, we're going to do this project, and we're going to do that project, and we're going to do this thing. Rather, we're saying, can we raise up a body of mature men and women who are hearing God, who are getting faith and expectation, who are starting to wake up to the fact that they can change the world? And sometimes I think the reason we don't do it is not because we're selfish and not because we're lazy. It's because it makes us feel incredibly uncomfortable. There's something very comfortable about being told what to do. Something super, super comfortable about a leader telling you what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. It's very uncomfortable. So I'm going to lean into God for myself. I'm going to get faith from God for myself. I'm going to find out what pleases him and what he's doing in me and through me. Sometimes we feel, who am I to do that? I'm an imposter. Have you ever felt like that? Who am I? I'm not spiritual. I couldn't do that. I'm an imposter. Who am I to say, I'll pray for the sick, I'll raise the dead, I'll open blind eyes and deaf ears and cleanse the leper. Who am I to say that? I'll be an imposter if I started to believe that about myself. I'm just little old me. False humility. Sometimes it's the fear of presumption. I just need another word from God. I just need him to bring another confirmation. I just need him to tell me. Tell me again. Not realising we already have permission. And that God already has a very, very high view of you. And so, 
There's this big thing of getting to play and getting our hands dirty, which is to run the race we're called to, to get stuck in, to change the world, these big things. But how does that actually get earthed into everyday living? I remember for me, a key decision was in 1993, I said to God, I would do anything you ask me to do. Mm. And one, do you know, one of the first things he asked me to do, this guy said, will you lead worship? And I said, yes, yeah, I'll lead worship. Now, now we, 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 uh, we're, we're going to go for it, God, we're going to see. He, the guy had to step in, because we'd got to such a high note that somebody was going to die. <laughs> they, somebody was going to suffocate if someone didn't step in and stop me midway. But someone else asked me, yeah, I'll do it. I felt fine about kicking it off, and then I found myself nearer and nearer the curtains and hiding. And thinking, I don't want to get anywhere near this microphone, I don't want to kill anybody. <laughs> and so I had this thing, I, I would say yes to things that were terrifying, things I didn't feel cool to, and things I didn't feel gifted to. Like I just did street evangelism and sketchboarding. You know sketchboarding when you paint on the board? Mm-hmm. I can hardly draw. You know, I'm sketching on the board and hoping the non-believer will see something that makes some sense and I can hardly read what I've written but I've said yes and I remember doing things in the street and calling out the gospel and thinking actually I've got the gospel wrong there (laughs) but I'm shouting it in the street (laughs) but I wanted to say yes one of the first jobs I ever had was making 67 orange juices for, um, for church I was going to I did other things too, like children's work. And whatever was needed, I said yes to things and see where God would lead them and see what God would open up. Like being responsible for the chair road and setting up the chairs. And no one wants that job, but I thought, I'll do it. And, and, and in, in many ways, God comes to this later on, but use those moments to, to open up other doors. So in normal life, if a child stops growing, it's quite alarming, isn't it? You know, have you all got places in your house where you measure your children? They're not measuring them every week. They want to be measured every week. And it's behind the door and it's all these marks. One of the great things is when your children get to a certain height and they can go on all the rides at Disneyland. You know, that's kind of like the big transitional moment. We want to get to 140 because 140 is the height you can go on everything. That was a big breakthrough moment. But for kids, we're looking for growth. And I think if we, if we had a, a child who suddenly stopped growing, we'd get alarmed, don't we? And think, you're, you're 11, but... Or, your height is still like when you were five. We get alarmed, or we get alarmed if if a child is 16, 17, 18, but their their perspective and attitude to the house is more more like it's a hotel or a restaurant. <laughs> we think no, that's there's there's something about growing and being <laughs> something about growing and being responsible. We get alarmed. We may not take them to the doctor, but we may take them aside. (laughs) And we may talk. But we expect, there's certain moments we expect growth. We don't really have any expectation of a baby, do we? No. Really have no expectation of babies, apart from the fact they're going to make a mess and they might throw the pea green gooey stuff on the wall. And we don't really have much expectation of toddlers. We don't really expect them to contribute, really. We have no expectation at all that they're going to get stuck in and get involved and do stuff. 
But as, as, as they grow, we think, no, actually, one day you're going to have your own home. You're going to have a husband, you're going to have a wife, most probably, and you'll probably have children, and you'll hopefully have a job, and you'll hopefully get up in the morning, and you'll be responsible. We're preparing you for adulthood, because you're not always going to be with us. We've got a goal for you, which is you're going to be big, you're going to be independent, you're going to be internally motivated, you're going to know how to make godly decisions, you're going to know how to make choices, you're going to know how to manage your finance, your time, your energy, you're going to be readied for the day when you have your own family, most probably, or you go off into the things that God has got for you. It's like if someone at university was at university and they were thinking, I'm not sure if I can go and play frisbee with my friends. I'm going to ring mum and dad from university to say, can I play frisbee? Hi mum, hi dad, I'm on the park, it's about seven, yeah, I'm thinking about going out and playing frisbee. Why are you asking me for? (laughs) Do you you, you know your schedule? Do you know what you need to get done? Do you know what your plans are? Go and make your own choice. We're setting people up Mm. to make their own choices. And it's like that in Christ. We come in and we're babies and we're little, we're tiny and we don't know up from down and left from right and we find our way around and we're running around and actually we're making a lot of mess and we're, we're chucking the pea soup on the wall because we don't really know how to follow Christ and we're not really contributing, we're not doing anything. And then, but the goal is, oh, we're going we're gonna to grow up. The gifts are coming so that everyone's built up so that we might become mature. That we might become mature, grown-up adults who are able to know right from left, right from wrong, left from right, up from down, know how to serve. Because for every person, there comes a moment where there's growth and maturity and contribution. So when we go to France at Christmas, there's a big family, I think there's about 20 of us who eat around the table, and uh, we all come together up Surprisingly, I'm not invited to cook. <laughs> I'm not invited to cook. Although Rochelle's sister, she let me fry loads of chips and sausages. I thought that was like a promotion, but <laughs> I seem to do okay. I, but, but it's family. And so you think, what needs to be done? Because I don't want to be the crazy uncle. I guess every family's got the crazy uncle who's just sat there. And doesn't do anything, and just the food food comes. So in family like it, it's, it's the very old don't do anything, and the little babies don't do anything, and the toddlers, and the, they don't do anything. But I want to do something, so I found a niche. I set the table, and I'm involved in clearing the table, and I'm involved in sweeping the floor. <laughs> that, that's that's. Th- that's pretty much that, that's my country that's what I'm trusted <laughs> and I don't do anything because I'm sure he's coming to you <laughs> and I don't do anything because particularly because I've got a passion for table dressing <laughs> I don't particularly have a vision I mean, I do have partly a vision for a clean floor because there's something horrible about putting your feet on the floor and you've got socks and you stand on a pee. Something gross about that. But I don't particularly do these things because I've got a vision for them. I do them because I'm part of a family. I do them because we want to have a really, really good Christmas. And I do them because that's the part I can play. So... 
when you come into church, you're, you're coming into a family, and it takes time to work out whether this is your family. And some people that's really quick, and some people that takes time to work out, is this church my family? Is this church heading in the direction my life is heading in? And sometimes people come along to a church and think, well, my life is going south, and this church is going north. Nothing wrong, nothing that's contravening truth, it's just it's not going where you're going. So people need time, and that's why we have Connect, and that's why people have an opportunity to connect and ask questions. And it comes a moment when you think, do you know what, This, this is my family. This is my family. So when I, in France, I'm not French, but I'm part of the family. I don't really need a vision for anything or a passion about anything. What needs to be done at Christmas for this family to work okay? What's my contribution? And so for every person, there's this process. You get born again, maybe here. You grow up, you grow up, you grow up. You're becoming mature. And then you say, this is my family. For others, it's I've been in another church. I'm coming along. I'm finding out what this culture is, what its values are, what its vision is, where it's going. Wow. This is what I've always been looking for. This is my family. But then in that moment, in that moment, you become part of a household. You become part of the family. And then it's very normal and natural to say, what needs to be done around here? What needs to be done around here? What needs to be done for people to feel really comfortable when they come here. It's my house, it's my family. What, what needs to be done so that everybody feels welcome and at ease? Because when people come in here for the first time, honestly, they feel scared and they feel anxious and they don't know what's going to happen. Especially people who have never been to a local church, they've got no idea what's going to happen for the next two hours. I remember walking into church and feeling exactly the same. If you want to know what it feels like to walk into a church for the first time, they say go into a bookmaker's to put on a bet. You won't know what to do, probably. You think, I don't know what to do. There's all these screens around here. There's a guy with a pad over there. What do you do? What are the numbers? Three to one means what? Somebody needs to be there to explain. Or go to Nando's for the first time if you want to do something different. I don't get Nando's. We walked in. You think is someone's going to come to your table? and ask you your order, but they don't, they want you to go somewhere else, and you have to pay somewhere else, and you've got to go there for your food, and you have to pick up your own knives and forks. <laughs> so maybe go to Nando's rather than the bookmakers. Go in there, and you'll be, you won't know what to do. We went in, there was no one to welcome us, we just were lost. So when it's your, <laughs> when it's your family, you think, I, I want people to feel welcome. <laughs> I want people to feel at ease. I want people to feel they, they, they know what's going to happen. And Pam does a fantastic job of this. One lady emailed us in the summer and said, I was just visiting. My church didn't have a service on that Sunday. I came along. The lady at the door made me feel so welcome. And yeah, yeah so she just said, well done. But it's that heart thing for all of us. 
You think, this is my home, this is my family. Who's going to be there today? How are they going to feel today? Who, who needs to be welcomed today? I'm growing up and I know that I've got a contribution to make. I can bring things to people. Maybe for it might only be setting the table, but I've got a passion and vision for the family and I want to get stuck in. Some people ask, does this church have a leadership structure ladder where I can climb? They <laughs> don't put it like that. But <laughs> you know, family doesn't have a structure. Family has a structure, but it doesn't have a leadership ladder. You know, like when I go to France, I'm not, I've not got my eyes on Suzette's job. <laughs> Michelle's mom. Yeah, you wait. I'm reading the cookbooks. You wait. <laughs> I'm going to go on MasterChef. Souffle is coming your way. <laughs> There's no... You just do what needs to happen. But can I say that em- empowerment and advancement in, ha- in family simply happens through maturity. Yeah. It really isn't that complicated. It really isn't. If I'm honest, there were more charismatic, anointed people in my generation than me. Mm. I was shy, quiet... Terrified of speaking, grateful when someone else did it apart from me, so pleased when it wasn't me. And I watched so many people who were super charismatic but had no character blow up, burn out, and disappear. So to grow in family, it really isn't any more complicated than I'm just growing, I'm just maturing. Your gift will open the door for you. Yes. God will make a way where you think there isn't a way. You will emerge, you will come through. Yes. And it starts with maturity being, it's less about what I'm called to, and I just serve in the areas that just need to be yes. served. And so many of you are doing a fantastic job at that already. There's so many of you doing the teas and the coffees and the children's work, and so many people involved in different areas. And, and this is more a, a, a communication for those, probably just come in and say, how, how does this place work? That maturity is just getting stuck in and doing what needs to be done. Let me say, end it with this. Serving in the general, just getting stuck in on anything, leads to serving in the specific. Yeah. It's been my story all the time. Of just doing whatever needs to be getting done. Because serving, whatever it is, whether it's sweeping the floor, checking the toilets, washing up, just gives your life momentum. It's easier for God to steer a moving ship than it is a ship that's just stuck saying, I've got a huge calling, God open it up. You need some momentum, you need some motion. God can move you when when you're serving. That the prophetic promises always come in seed form. The prophetic promises always come in in a seed form. So a prophetic promise could be, I'm gonna I'm gonna build a house to love the poor, a place where prisoners can come out of Belmarsh and feel um, a place where they're loved and, and can find their footing in society. You could feel God say that, but it comes in seed form of how how can I get alongside and love the most vulnerable person I know? How can I get alongside and encourage someone else with life skills? How can I come alongside and help somebody who has no idea about cooking to begin to cook? How could I nurture and steward what I already have? Mm. And my testimony is, the way you do it is you just say, what needs to get done? How can I get stuck in? And, and just begin.
So God, we thank you for the church. Yeah. We thank you for the, the beauty of church that we all get to play, that all of us get to play a part, that we all get to get our hands dirty, we all get to have wins, we all get to do great things, we all get to be part of transforming the world, we all get to hear your voice, we all get to have the joy of leading people to Jesus, yes. we all get the joy of bringing strength to others. And uh, just pray for any even here this morning is that you just thought it was only the man or woman with power for the hour who could do it. And God just says, no, that's not true. I include you. Yeah. And some says, God says to some, you just thought, I can't get involved because who am I? Mm. Who am I? I don't really have anything to bring. And God says, you've got loads to bring. I've yeah. got a really, really high opinion Thank of you. Jesus. And I'm going to be speaking to you about how mm. you can contribute and what you carry and what you bring. Amen.